0: Thank you, Luis, and beautifully done. So, thank you. <laughs> I'm really happy to get to be here with you all this morning. Uh, we're going to continue a two-part series on Jesus as the refugee king. And last week was the first part this is the second part. And so if you love biblical studies or love to pick apart pastors who are trying to talk about biblical studies, you can watch the video from last week and send me any notes. So, and my good friend Thomas Lyons who is a PhD in biblical studies uh, is here. So Thomas, please feel free to look at it and pick it apart for me if you'd like. But otherwise, this is gonna be more like leaning into the theology side of things. And so if you like to try to be a nerd on theology, I'm gonna be a little bit more of a theology nerd today. Um, And all of this is reflected in the same slide. So you might remember the slide from last week if you were here. And if you weren't, I'm gonna catch you up very briefly on some of the core concepts here that we're talking about. We're talking about how Jesus is a uh, lion and a lamb, how he's presented as a lion and a lamb in Matthew, and how that imagery captures something of what's already going on in Matthew 1 and 2. I think we can detect allusions to that. And I think in Matthew 2, we especially see how Jesus is king and refugee. So he is the refugee king, he has genuine power, he has genuine authority, and he is also genuinely, deeply vulnerable. And he is genuinely fleeing from political persecution and danger, just like a lot of the people we have the enormous privilege of getting to work with in our One Good Home ministry. And so we're going to reflect on some of these themes here on this slide. As it relates to matthew 2 and then i'm going to dig into some of what i think god has done in and through our one good home ministry and invite people into the many different kinds of on ramps into that work part of what jeff breathed into this ministry and encouraged me to do was to really think about how we could develop our immigrant and refugee ministry in this church in a way that all kinds of people with all kinds of different capacities and time commitments and skills could contribute to it and so we have this sort of three component ministry that provides us as a community tons of different ways to discern and to respond to God's possible callings and so we will get into that towards the end but I'm going to start with our passage here and this is from Matthew chapter 2 and I'm going to read again because we read it last week too but I'm going to read verses 13 through 23 and then reflect on it some more So come, Holy Spirit, please fill the reading and the reception of your word. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt remained there until the death of herod this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the lord through the prophet out of egypt i called my son as an aside in this jesus is then identified and being identified also with the people of israel in the passage in its original context is talking about the whole people and so the fulfillment isn't that somebody thought someday this would happen with some individual but instead that the fullness and a new fullness of the meaning of what's in there is revealed in the refugee king jesus then when herod saw that he had been tricked by the magi he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time when he had determined from the magi then what had been spoken through jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled a voice was heard in Rama, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Last week we continued with that reading and there's a word of hope, as, as we consistently see in the prophets, after a word of real desolation that weighs the desolation people experience, there is a profound word of hope that we should hear implicitly ringing in our ears after that too. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And so we have this intense hope, and this intense anguish, this intense power, and this intense vulnerability all brought together in the figure of Jesus, the refugee king, at the start of Matthew. And strength and gentleness, we touched on some of this last week. And for me, when I want to try to understand if something I'm experiencing reflects the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God working in our lives, there is a feeling of enormous strength and enormous gentleness all at the same time. That to me is, I think, one of the truest signs that the Holy Spirit is doing something. Uh, And I think the work of the Spirit we discern over time because the fruit of the Spirit grows. And so when people encounter God in that way, we experience God bringing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self control and and growing that in us, not as a bunch of things that we have to do or an angry wish list, as an angry list to be ashamed about but as a clean movement of God's grace working in and through us from first to last. And I think this also speaks to that God is just and merciful. And that these things can seem opposed, they're clearly different, but they're also deeply connected. And when I think about, for example, the One Good Home ministry, one example of something that, I can't claim credit for accomplishing this, there were some friends at Faith Mission who managed to secure somebody their Social Security checks that they were due, even though it was very tricky to figure out legally, right? So they worked in and with the actual legal system. We call it the justice system, right? And there's a real reason to connect justice and law. They worked with the legal system to help this person uh, obtain something that was difficult to obtain, and there was a real mercy in that. There was a real kind of assistance and sustenance that came through that. And so that's just a really simple example of how justice and mercy aren't really necessarily opposed. Sometimes what we call the justice system can also be unjust. And I think often when it is unjust, it is also being merciless. And it's often being hypocritical when that happens. And so part of working with immigrants and refugees also involves digging into and working with the legal system and understanding the complexities of it. We're really, really blessed through our relationship with our mother church, Vineyard Columbus, which planted this church. They have a legal clinic that we work with as well. And they embody, and they live, uh, Janine Winfrey there embodies and lives the bringing together of justice and mercy in this legal clinic. And so we're happy to partner with them and to get to work with folks. And so this idea that God is just and merciful, and when we can bring together justice and mercy, we are in some way reflecting God more fully. It's super practical when you're doing immigrant and refugee work. Uh, Also throughout the book of Matthew, one of the amazing and wonderful things about the book of Matthew is that it shows Jesus also as a uh, teacher and understander of the law. And as we go through our Matthew series, which is the big series we're, we're in right now, I think we'll get to see again and again how Jesus is working within the legal thinking and legal system of his own time, the complex and strange layers of that, in a way that also brings out the merciful core of, of Torah and of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so sometimes in the church we will sharply set these things against each other, and I think that what especially the Gospel of Matthew helps us see is how Jesus the refugee King brings them together in his life and in his example so God is just and merciful God is also uh, differentiated and connected and so here I'm going to start touching on the Trinity a little bit you might be if you've seen like the diagrams or you might be thinking about how the Father is not the son jesus is not the holy spirit that they are differentiated but they are all fully god they are all as deeply connected as it is possible to conceive of connection and so in the trinity we have a concept of differentiation and connection now i'm going to talk about differentiation connection as it relates to us in society and how that relates to refugees some and if you are a a theology nerd and especially the heresy hunting type I want to be clear up front here that I understand that the differentiation and connection within the Trinity is different it's different than the differentiation connection we have when we form a community doing things but it is connected to it and I won't get into any more of the weeds than that so but (laughs) so this idea of being differentiated and connected it is something that I have learned more deeply I think from God through immigrant and refugee work it's something that is applicable in all kinds of areas of our life. It's also really applicable, one of my joys is I get to do kids and youth work in this church, and the process of growing up is a process, when it's a healthy process, of differentiating from our parents, which can be confusing and strange sometimes, but if it's a healthy process of staying deeply connected and even growing in connection through that. And in a lot of ways, as um, as adults, for us to be able to be most deeply connected it requires us to actually be well differentiated that we understand how I'm different than you and I can accept your difference uh, I can accept areas of difference and still love and we can find deeper common ground and I think for the church we find that deeper and deepest common ground in Christ and the Holy Spirit who unites us with each other and who then ultimately work to unite us with the Father when Jesus turns everything over to the Father so This is, you can go all the way up to like the dizzying heights of theology and then all the way down to just what it means to grow up or what it means to be people in a society together with this rich idea of differentiation and connection. And I know when people start to explore this, something that we will often hear and that a lot of good counselors advise people to do, we are big fans of professional counseling and all that sort of thing in this church, and one thing that a lot of people will Encounter in those settings is advice to set healthy boundaries and try to figure out where those boundaries might be. And that can be a complicated thing to work through. It's possible to say I'm setting healthy boundaries, but actually to be uh, manipulative and controlling about it. It's also possible to refuse to set healthy boundaries and be in an unsustainable situation where neither you nor the people in that situation are being loved. And so there's not a one-size-fits-all in figuring out how to do this. But I do think that Jesus shows us ways, even in the most extreme, even to the point of death on a cross, of being able to differentiate. Because the cross says that what was done by the Romans to him was wrong. But he also, as Luke's gospel reveals, uh, he does this while saying, God forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, which is a bid for connection, even in extremists. jesus also spends a lot of his ministry as the refugee king running away from people who are about to kill him so that's one form of resistance that we are welcome to use that also imitates jesus right we're not all running to the cross at top speed right (laughs) Um, and uh and jesus i do think it's really worth meditating for your whole life on how jesus demonstrates both differentiation and connection in his life and in his teaching and actually, I'm glad that, in some strange way, I'm glad that the communion wine slash grape juice spilled here. There's something, I was raised Catholic. They've never kicked me out, uh, as far as I know, and I've never, like, kicked myself out, so I think I'm still Catholic and a vineyard pastor. I, and I exist, so wow, thank Jesus that I exist. Um, <laughs> the inner Catholic in me was, is, is, is as appalled as anyone can possibly imagine at the idea of, of the communion wine being spilled, right? There is a, uh, also in the Orthodox churches, there is a sense of, of the sanctity of the body of Christ as we encounter him in the elements here that's a, that's a deep part of the church's tradition. And I do think, yes, should I go closer? Thank God you're not a monk. Either. Thank God I'm not a monk either. I was discerning a vocation as a Franciscan for a while, so I might have ended up a monk, and then I wouldn't have my amazing daughter. So, yes, thanks, Kelly. Um also it probably doesn't hurt that i got my mic a little closer to the mouth right is this a good spot okay good and i think though there's something about being able to feel the scandal of that kind of a moment that lets us start to begin to comprehend what the scandal of the cross is how much jesus really did pour out there how deeply jesus entered into every kind of suffering how deeply jesus is the refugee king who is there at every margin and every hurting place and that he loves us that much so that we can experience God's grace and forgiveness and atoning power. And the last one, I, if anyone really wants to geek out on metaphysics, like we can do that, some. I'd love to learn some more about metaphysics from you too, but this last one I think gets us to sort of the most general idea here, which is God is one, and in the Trinity there is a manyness about God, uh, and God's relationship then to creation, and all of the many things, and all of the many people, and all of the, ma- like the manyness of everything, which is, we now understand through contemporary science is just even more vast than people could have imagined before. The, the, that God's oneness isn't opposed to the manyness of things, in the sense that it's, he's not against it. It's the kind of oneness that holds everything in one, uh, that's also more than the one, uh, that's more than the manyness. God gives rise to it all, and God also holds it together. And I'll just stop there, but I think that this stuff is actually worth meditating on too. So if you're that kind of a nerd, there's space for you here. so, turning to the One Good Home Ministry. So I want to talk about this. We're, we're not doing a big fundraising drive on it this year because our funding is in decent shape. Thank you all for helping fund and help that continue happening. Yeah, and thank yes. And I think we are at a point where there are opportunities to engage. And I would love it if, as I talk about this, You consider ways that god might be inviting you to engage including i honestly think and this is how we started the ministry i think this is truly the most important part by just praying for these ministries we started this as a as part of a small group with uh, carl betcher's small group and it was in the depths of the housing price collapse we thought what if we got a house in linden which was the neighborhood where i lived that we can use to help with housing. And we prayed and we walked around the neighborhood and a small group of people helped lead this initial drive. We bought the property, we we then spent six months looking for a property and we bought a house that's a three bedroom, two bathroom with a garage house for $19,000 and it was in surprisingly good shape, which was also I think God's providence and was the beginning of this ministry and the reason i talk about all of that is because as we i know that a number of people are smarting starting new small groups people are looking for small groups and small groups are the church and small groups in just a you don't need a ton of people to be able to get together and form one group to be able to start something and we love to bless and collaborate with the work of small groups in the church Uh, okay So we bought this home, and we housed a variety of people over the years, and then several years ago, we really focused it on meeting the needs of immigrants and refugees because we were finding requests from some of our partners, including Faith Mission and others in the community where there were uh, people who were homeless and who weren't able to access the other range of services because they also needed to work on their immigration status. And through the Vineyard Justice Network, we got connected with Janine. It's ironic, we had this national network thing where I ended up being stuck into a van with Janine, which is how we got to know each other and then start the legal clinic side of it. And so we realized we had the components to really start to develop an immigrant refugee ministry for people who are essentially homeless in two ways. They're homeless in the sense that they don't have stable housing and they're also homeless in the sense that uh they don't have a country to call home one example uh this is not someone who's currently there but, so i'm not in a, I, I really am sensitive about talking about the stories of people who are who are in our house currently they don't they're part of our community i don't want them to feel like they're in a fishbowl but for example there was a gentleman from vietnam and if you leave vietnam and you come here and you flee here and a lot of people he fled for his life he had a harrowing flight for his life to arrive here and if Uh, but Vietnam won't take you back and the United States can get uh, complicated, enormously complicated in terms of your legal status. So there was essentially what all of the nations of the world were saying to this person is that you don't have a place anywhere on earth. What does that mean to not have a nation that says "This this is the place for you? In a sense, the nations of the world have come together and said you shouldn't be alive in a sense. And this actually does cause injury for people in their hearts and their souls too. Um, and so we were able to house him and and work on a variety of things and help him get to his next step. And so that's the sort of population who we're able to help and that the house is especially well-equipped to, to serve. And so that's the Aberdeen House. In a sense, it serves people who are, for a variety of reasons, doubly homeless and helps them work within the legal system, justice and mercy, we're working with the legal system to sort out that situation. What kind of opportunities are there to engage with the Aberdeen House? Well, the folks there are just our friends. And so some people can just bring meals, share meals with them they love to be hospitable. And that can be an excellent entry point. The other thing, and this will correspond, this will illuminate all three parts of what we do in the One Good Home Ministry, is that just stop and think about what it means to have a home. All right. What does it really mean to have a home? It means you have shelter and stability that comes from that. It means you have food and stability that comes from that. And then you have a house. But for it to really become a home, you also need love and community and connection. And the ways and the things that are involved in just doing those three things are many. (laughs) They're almost endless, right? And so if you can think of something that's involved in that, home maintenance and care, uh, home decoration, uh, repair of spaces, relationship building, anything in any of those domains, we can talk, we can pray, and we can discern opportunities for you to start to connect. And one of the beauties of being a relatively small congregation is that I'm not worried about it it getting bottlenecked. I have time to talk and pray with anyone here who wants to get engaged with these ministries. And this idea of, yeah, I really want to find a way where I can contribute to making home for people as a reflection of my commitment to the refugee king, Jesus. I would love to explore that with you. Another key aspect of that one is legal advocacy, legal research, and that includes not only helping to work on people's cases or gather documents and doing things like that. It can also include, for example, trying to figure out, here's somebody who's spent their life paying into social security, but they can't get access to it, but if they could, that could be a big step for them. Um, Is there a way to help them get their social security? And so there's advocacy aspects to making a home. All right, so here's the second sort of branch in the One Good Home Ministry. And all of them are connected by this idea that One Good Home can make all the difference for somebody. So we have welcome teams. Uh, Michelle, uh, thank you so much for your leadership and for everybody who's been involved in the welcome team. It's been an enormous success over the last year. We've built a partnership with Chris, the Community Refugee and Immigration Services organization here in Columbus. Also, just a little appreciation on Chris. They do an especially good job for one of these groups. They are smart and creative and generative and scrappy people who are just an inspiration and a joy to get to work with, too. Like, I've learned a lot from just their problem-solving approaches. And it actually relates to the fact that we end up getting to enjoy more immigrants and refugees in our city. If they, Because they do a good job, we get more immigrants and refugees in Columbus, which I think is awesome for all kinds of reasons. Okay, so our welcome team has built a really good relationship with Chris this year, and what do welcome teams do? Sorry, I'm getting slightly ahead of myself. Welcome teams form relationships with refugee and immigrant families who are coming in through the normal channels. There's some public support for them for a while, but these are folks who need friends and advocates. And so to be part of a welcome team is to build a deep relationship with people where you become friends and advocates. And there is an initial six-month commitment, but I think it inevitably becomes a lifelong commitment because that's what friendship is. (laughs) <laughs> you, begin, you begin to really care about these folks, and so the full-on welcome team commitment is is a pretty big thing, and I'm really excited that we've carried some of that. Part of this too now is Chris is working to encourage other vineyard churches to do this in the area, and we're going to communicate with them and with other non-vineyard churches who we've helped connect them with, and being able to be an advocate and a cheerleader for welcome teams is part of how we can then spread the goodness of this. and so if you're interested in advocacy, in public speaking, or if you're just interested in being friends with people. <laughs> this is an on-ramp into all of that sort of stuff and an opportunity for a lot of learning and growth. Michelle, I don't mean to put you on the spot. If you have anything you want to add, I didn't prep Michelle for this. If you feel like you want to add anything on this, uh, just like gesture towards me while I'm talking a little bit more. Otherwise, absolutely no pressure. <laughs> right? um, so. That's what's going on with welcome teams and I'm really excited about it. The Algol family is the family that we've invested in so far. One other cool thing about this is that Chris also realized that not everyone is able to have what is really the massive level of commitment that, for example, we've been able to have for the family we've been supporting and so they're developing a shorter sort of minimal arrival team model that might not be the exact term for it but it's basically it's just a one-month commitment and you're not set up to be long-term friends and advocates somebody else is going to do that but you're just getting people moved in you're helping sort their furniture you're doing all the stuff that just happens right at the start and so if this sounds appealing to you you're like, i want to get in touch with chris But I don't want to, I'm not in the space. I would love to have infinite time, but I don't have have that. Uh, There's also avenues here that they're opening up. So, and then the last house is the Ormond House. And here we are housing, now long-term, because they really love the place, a family from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we started this house last year, just a year ago in response to a need that Chris expressed to us. So we wanted to be responsive to where God might be leading us. This church gave very generously to be able to purchase a house. We got a beautiful, large home. And the goal here is very simple to be good landlords and more than good landlords, to be godly landlords who are building permanent refugee resettlement infrastructure. So instead of the landlording going into some fund that goes to anything else, the idea here is that all of these resources, any, including any profits that are ultimately generated from it, continue to sustain this sort of work. And it's a response to another, I believe, injustice that people were encountering, which is that we, we have a very long history of housing discrimination in this country. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it's massive, and if you drive around any neighborhoods, the patterns of, Uh, racial settlements in our cities are the result of policy and planning, both public policy and informal policies regulating realtors and things like that. It was considered unethical to sell a house in a black neighborhood to a white person, and realtors were trained in that, right? Disgusting. But that's part of our history, and it hasn't all gone away yet by a long shot. And so refugee and immigrant families, especially large ones, have great difficulty finding a sustainable landlord. And they often end up being pressed into the very lowest quality kind of housing that is available. And it doesn't take that much to do this well. Uh, I think we can turn that story around. And so here, in a sense, everything that's revolved in our other ministries is part of this too, building a friendship, building a relationship. But there is a division of powers that we came to because The welcome team that needs to be there for the family needs to be their advocates, including potentially their advocates against the landlord, right? And so it would be a problem if we tried to fill both roles. And so we were a welcome team for a family with a different situation, and then we wanted to be landlords who are actually also advocates, right, on the other side. And working with that welcome team has been a real joy, too. And so what are the opportunities here? Part of it is that if you're interested in real estate, you're thinking you're interested in thinking about real estate as business, if you want to be socially entrepreneurial and you want to take those entrepreneurial skills and use them to grow a ministry like this. And I think part of the value of, of all of these different ministries is that they're filling different gaps. But one of the benefits of having something like this in our kingdom portfolio, to use some of Jeff's language as a church, is that you can use a relatively small amount of money in a way that really leverages it and that has a lot of potential to grow. So if you love that sort of thing and you love business and you want to put that in service to the kingdom of God, we have opportunities to really start thinking about where we might be able to scale this kind of model in partnership with refugee and immigration groups. And so I think these three prongs are where we're going to stop in developing basic prongs of the ministry, but we're going to continue to deepen and grow in them by the grace of God. And so. If we could i would just love to take a little time and pray for this work i would also just like to thank the mccain's do a lot of immigrant refugee work that's also uh very deeply in tune with what we're doing and is not formally sort of under the central vineyard umbrella but that's also part of what i think god is doing here in this community and so i think the mccain's i just want to commend them to everyone if you want mentorship and guidance in doing even more types of immigrant refugee work please but we should sop up all of the goodness they have to share with us and the wisdom they have from that experience. But if we could take a little time, and whether you feel a tug on your heart to start volunteering in any of these ways, or at least just meet with me and pray and see if there's more here, please pray for these ministries. Seriously, this, insofar as we have had any success, I believe it is because God is working in and through it and working in and through people praying for it. So I wanna take a solid minute Michelle yes for something to add Go ahead. Yeah.
1: So I just want to say this has been an amazing experience working with one good home It has uh, just been life-giving to all of us on the welcome team, which there are many um, And I won't name everybody right now. So it's uh, so many people that have been helping uh, the refugees and immigrants within one good home um, such a blessing to just Welcome to love to serve others and um, we are filled just as much as we're welcoming and loving others as well. So it's just been an amazing experience. I would encourage you if you have any time or just want to know, like, what are the needs? Just ask, what are the needs? Because there's always something Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say um, there is one big need right now for one of the families who is a family of six. They have four children and two adults and they are looking for a new place. They don't have a lot of credit history since they've been here, and it may be difficult for them to find something, maybe not, but we could pray for a home for them, a wonderful home. They love this area right here. They're in the Clintonville area or the North Campus area right now. They'd love to stay in this area. So if you know of anywhere or you just wanna pray for that move for them, they're looking to move in March.
0: Thank you, Michelle. so i'm going to set aside at least a minute to pray feel free to pray out loud if that's part of how you like to pray you can you can pray as loud as you want or you can sort of mumble feel free to pray silently that's totally fine if this whole room is silent and filled with silent prayer that's totally fine and then after we take some time to pray for these various ministries If anybody does feel like they have heard anything from the Holy Spirit or have anything they feel like they want to share, we can pass the mic around and make space for that as well, and then we'll move into communion time after that. But to start, let's take at least a solid minute to pray out loud or silently for these ministries. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you for the precious gift of our friends who we've been able to meet and deepen in relationship with through these ministries. It's just a gift that we don't possibly merit. And I'm so grateful for you creating a world like this where we can enjoy that. And I pray that you intercede. And all of the housing needs, including for the family who's needing to move. And I ask that you abundantly bless Chris and all of the many, many people in the city of Columbus who are engaged in this work of welcoming, showing your love, showing your kindness to immigrants and refugees and new Americans, however we wanna call them, who you have brought to our shores as a precious gift to us. Help us to receive them as we receive you. Does anyone have a word or anything they want to share or a desire to offer prayer? Totally fine. So, on the night that the Lion of Judah, who is the Lamb of God, was betrayed, the refugee king, Jesus, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way he then took the cup and said this is the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me and so we continue to say yes to the yes of jesus whenever we participate in this and if you're here and you want to participate in this uh, it involves committing yourself in some way to following in the way of the refugee king but if you understand that and you want to participate in this in some way you are certainly welcome to so feel free to come up. If you're over here, feel free to partake at this table. We have gluten-free crackers and grape juice, as well as more contained units for people who want to uh, maybe have less germ exposure for whatever reason, which could be many good reasons. And then if you're towards the middle, please come towards the middle. If you're towards the sides, please come towards the side. Jesus, thank you for inviting us into your loving presence. And then afterwards, if you want to migrate over to the sides and receive prayer, that's also something we love to do.